This is the Habitology Podcast with Melanie White, and today I'm excited to introduce Zach Jeffcoat, the Regional Manager of Oc Health in Perth. And Zach specialises in exercise, rehab, recovery, and wellness programs for NDIS, work cover, and life insurance, as well as health and wellness coaching and exercise and EAP support for organisations. Zach, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. I'm pretty interested to start by hearing a bit about what you're really passionate about. Well, firstly, um, I mean, the question gets asked a lot. And uh, the way I kind of answer that is the passion for me is providing exercise and movement. Initially, when I, when I graduated, was um, into rural and remote communities. So mm-hmm. I found initially that as an exercise physiologist, we can impact people's lives really positively. Um, and as I progressed in my career, I found that it's not so much um, what exercise does, but it's more the fact what exercise, um, obviously, how it improves the quality of life yeah. and how people actually fit that into their day to essentially get to an outcome. So um, my passion is actually um, educating people on the benefits of exercise my solution and, and, and what I kind of not sell them or what the solution is that exercise is a modality that fits into their lifestyle. Um, and it's really important that we look at how um, diet, sleep, exercise, uh, relaxation, meditation fit into a physical mental health model. So uh, my passion is really, um, is, is the profession, I'll be honest with you. It is exercise physiology. Um, and beyond that, it's obviously providing education to anyone who wants to hear it. Wow. And it it sounds like you have quite a broad experience. We were talking just before we started this conversation about all of the things that you've done. Can you give us a quick recap of your your tour of Australia? (laughs) Yeah, well, just, I mean, I've I've got a bit of ADHD probably. So I I do a lot of different things. Um, Initially, when I graduated in um, 2008, um, it all started with no. So I was offered a job in mining. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I, uh, I turned up and I tried a uniform on and the guy said, sorry, Zach, um, there's no work here. We've lost the contract. That's mining. I said, mm-hmm. it was a humbling experience. My re- rejection was the redirection to go to Geraldson and I set up two um, uh, EP clinics in medical centres there. Mm-hmm. Great company with Panacea and, and obviously in um, Batavia Health. So did that for about five years. In that time, I was an ABC radio host, um, had a skit on, on ABC. Mm-hmm. I then worked uh, in surf life saving um, as a high performance coach and then as a surf for lecturer at fitness. I then, after five years, went into the um, Northern Territory in Tennant Creek and I worked over there for about three months with a company called Body Fit and we provided access to exercise physiology in uh, remote and rural Indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. That was a great um, eye opener. And then after that, I went to Melbourne for a number of years and worked um, with Angelo and the team um, in Melbourne as in rehab. And then I've come back to Perth to take on the, um, the role at rehab services and um, Oak Health by Arteus. Wow, you've seen a lot of the country and by the sound of things, a lot of different sorts of people, different contexts for exercise. Yeah, and it's the same message. Um, and I guess the challenge is what, you know, the message you're trying to portray, it's about linking that to, to your target audience or linking that in terms of value. So how does, you know, how does someone um, who's recovering from kidney disease take your message as opposed to someone who's just been diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. So how do you, as an EP or as a health professional, how do you essentially get buy-in or um, trust 
with your client and that's it's a, it's a hard skill to be honest with you I guess that's where the coaching approach comes in for you definitely yeah and the coaching principles more importantly the the client-centered approach is you really have to understand that putting yourself in the other person's shoes essentially the the empathetic approach second to that why should someone why does someone need to see you what is it about what you're offering do they think they need so what's in it for them kind of thing yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and this is, and I'll be honest with you, um, lifestyle change is hard. And this is why it's about um, the clients we have, they range on the spectrum in terms of their levels of health. Mm. Um, and it's really important about when you coach them through each week or each session, you understand that your guiding principle of coaching is really important because how you do your initial assessment, how you do your follow-ups, and essentially how you educate them all comes down to that kind of format and modality that needs to really be targeted to them. Mm-hmm. I can hear that it's very personalised, even down to the level of each individual client. That's what you're saying, I think. Yeah, tailored approach. So we don't do cookie cutter assessments. We don't do cookie cutter. Uh, you know, you can have two of the same people come in with the exact same diagnosis with the, you know, similar history. Mm-hmm. You have to treat them differently. The, the approach of... Well, for example, the one-stop approach doesn't work, especially in coaching and, and, and health and wellness. The um, individuality. So it's really important that you understand the, you know, this is essentially going through the, you need to understand the biomedical markers of the person. Mm. You've got to understand their physiology. And you have to understand their drive and direction and their psychology behind their motivation and their habits. So um, this is really important. You have to break this down. Because what your intervention and what you're trying to provide a solution won't necessarily hit the mark if you yeah. can't address those factors. It sounds like you have to be across a lot of stuff generally. And then as well, on, on top of that, the individual needs of the person are being able to identify those and be client-centered at the same time. Yeah, it's difficult. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, I've been doing it for 14, sorry, 14 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably... And still learning a lot. I probably took me at least a number of years, at least, mm. to actually understand how to relate. Also yeah. understand how to say what, when, and also how to formulate a plan to best suit my client. Uh, and this is life experience is number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's understanding your trade and knowing what you can offer and also really having a, a thirst or a passion to continue to keep learning. Yeah, that's so important. Absolutely. I wonder if we could talk a bit about mental health because it's really in the spotlight, excuse me, really in the spotlight at the moment. And there's obviously a link between exercise and mental health, but I'm not sure that a lot of people really understand that link very well. So could you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, I mean, the, the link um, over, it's, put it this way, it's definitely gotten a lot better in terms of the awareness. I think we have to be mindful with um, exercise and mental health that there's a component that, they actually go hand in hand. Mm. But remember, um, physical health and mental health, what comes first? So I think the main thing is understanding that from a, um, I guess, from a, from a medical model. So for example, with the GP, it's about providing the lifestyle change. Yeah. Um, and then from a health coaching and from a wellness perspective, you're not just focusing on one part. So um, mm. the link between exercise and mental health has actually quite been studied a lot in the last probably three to four years the rates of depression, anxiety, uh, in particular schizophrenia and bipolar. Mm. Also, there's a lot of evidence in relation to exercise and how it modulates the brain. Mm. 
mm-hmm. improves um, obviously the feel-good hormone, reduces cortisol. That essentially over time, what it does, it gives a, a more locus of control or confidence to the client mm. about what they can and can't do. So there's a so I'll talk to you from a purely physiological point of view, from the yeah. way the body responds, mm-hmm. um, it improves oxygen. Mm-hmm. That's the first point of call. Mm. Right. So as we improve oxygen, we improve hemoglobin, obviously blood flows through the body that increases natural feel good hormones. Mm. You need to do that in a certain way over time to get a benefit. Um, Mm -hmm. And the first thing I look at with mental health is called dose response. So for example, you go into uh, walking for 10 minutes. Are you getting enough response for your body to change? It's no different than medication now where you've been diagnosed with depression and you have 25 milligrams of sertraline or Zoloft. Uh, does that do anything for the body? Mm-hmm. So it's this, it's no different. Um, the second thing is looking at um, what is it about physical health that when um, you're faced with a mental health condition or concern, why does that always go on the back burner? What is it about exercise and movement and eating well and so why does that always go to the bottom? And this is the crux of understanding that we need to break um, the relationship down so people can see the value. Right. And so it sounds like what you're saying is that people don't see the value in those things necessarily or understand the links. And so they're not approaching them with enthusiasm and motivation. Yeah, and they or don't maybe understand. they're not knowing what to do, yep. perhaps. Yeah, and that's going back to your first point. What what link do I see? I, I think the link is people aren't being explained the benefits in a way they can hear it, mm-hmm. in a way they understand it, in a way that. Um, so hold on, you know, I've been diagnosed with this, this, and this. How does exercise? Why is walking ten minutes a day even going to help me? I don't get that. Mm-hmm. So it's not meaningful to them personally. They haven't no. made that connection. No, and the coaching is really important about how you link um, what you're trying to achieve with the client's goals and their interests and passions. And the concern is this. There's two things. If you're going to ask me this incidental exercise, meaning mm-hmm. um, unstructured, mm-hmm. if 10,000 steps a day was the obviously the recommendation or minimum 30 minutes a day, most people often don't get that. So how can you then tell someone they should be doing an exercise bike for 20 minutes and treadmill, you know, that doesn't work, but they don't get that. Yeah. I can't even do the minimum. So we have to be mindful in particular in the allied health field with directing our client to do a prescription or a guideline because Hmm. the challenge is we're hearing the message and we're not, and clients aren't getting it because it's too overwhelming. It's about getting the client buy-in to the, and, and finding their starting point so that it's easy for them to get started and work towards some target that they have ownership of. Yeah, exactly. And as a baseline. And that's as a role as an exercise physiologist, we provide a, a baseline assessment in conjunction with you know, the health coach and also the psychologist is how do we maximise this person's function every day whilst minimising their central nervous system um, overload. Because remember, when we're presenting with depression, anxiety, whatever it might be, mm. there's both a cognitive, so there's a lot of, a lot of thinking going on. Mm. There's a physiological response. So, for example, there's a lot of uh, stress hormone being released. Mm. And then there's a lot of overwhelm. Mm. Mm. So it's about tailoring your approach to what's going to suit the client. And what do you think are some of the biggest barriers that you come up against in terms of working with clients, other than the ones that you've spoken about already? What, what stops people from getting started, do you think? 
Um, well, it can actually be, to be completely honest with you, it can be generational. Mm-hmm. So if my mum didn't exercise, my dad didn't exercise, my grandma, you know, I don't see that behaviour. No so, role modelling. Yeah. So yeah. why would I need to do it? You know, it's, it's interesting if you took a, a subset of 40-year-olds and 50 and 60 and interviewed them about their health and about, you know, their role modelling, it'd be interesting to see what you come up with. Um, because the reality is until you get to that prevention age, if you've been diagnosed, let's just say, for, with a heart condition or whatever, mm. there's a high component that's both genetic and then lifestyle. So the biggest challenge I see, depending on the subset we work with in the clients, is they don't know where to start. Mm. That's number one. They don't understand how exercise really relates to improving their health. Mm. And thirdly, the mixed messaging in the media and the pressure uh, and all this stuff in the media is really quite concerning and overwhelming for these clients. You know, uh, I know I should be exercising 30 minutes a day. That's what the, that's what the TV said. Uh, the doctor said, I have to do an hour a day of walking, but I got my knees sore, so I can't walk. You know, so there's a lot of this back and forward. And this is really important that we, we need to address that when we first see the client. And obviously there's everyone has a busy lifestyle. And I suppose even if you don't have a chronic illness, there might be even less of a motivator. It's it's this preventive approach, but, oh, well, there's not a problem that I need to solve right now. And yeah, I'm too tired. My life's too busy. I've got all this stuff going on. And, you know, a classic example is the mining industry. If someone mm. goes away for a stint, they're working away for a couple of weeks And I've been on sites before in a previous profession and heard people say, well, if you've done a hard day's work for 12 hours, you certainly don't need to be going to the gym. All those Mm. people that are going to the gym obviously haven't worked hard enough. (laughs) You know, so how do you deal with with that? And I know you've said you've been in mining before. I'm curious to to hear a bit more about how you would work with someone in that sector. Yeah, mining and and oil and gas. And and Mm. there's, there's, there's ways you approach these conversations with these clients and, the understanding, I guess, is, as I said before, about the activity, um, you know, the incidental, unstructured, and there's structure. Now, for example, for the clients that are quite active during the day, you know, they're obviously on their tools, whether they're an underground driller or whatever, that's a lifestyle choice in terms of how they manage their diet. That's, yeah. If they can manage their diet well and their sleep hygiene, mm-hmm. generally their levels of activity are okay. Mm-hmm. The subset of that is you might have the executives, you might have, um, you know, obviously less physical role. Mm. So they essentially over time, they're sitting a lot more and they're not moving as much. So the metabolism is slowing down over time. So give it a week, they fly back home and they might do the same behavior or they might Mm. not. It's about then you need that these clients need structure, they need intensity, Mm. they need duration and they need accountability because that that just snowballs. So my first um, education piece is what are you doing offsite? And what are you doing to maximize your time on site? In particular, if you've had an easy day at work or whatever it might be, you may need to be going to the gym or going for a walk around camp because mm-hmm. if you have a busy day the following day, at least you've kind of you know, kept up that minimum requirement. It's a cumulative mail. So mm-hmm. um, for example, uh, the way our health works, it accumulates over time. So if you are sedentary for such a long time, then you may start exercising. The challenge and the question is what's happened in that previous five years? 
Mm. Has the damage been done? Has your blood pressure slowly started going up? Has your weight slowly started going up? All of a sudden you, you go to the GP in your forties and you get a, a well man's check mm. and your blood pressure is elevated. Mm. Right. And then this, we've gone from preventative health to management. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this is why it's important, particularly in the mining industry to keep on top of these medicals um, mm. and understanding the fitness for work component is really important because we are working long hours on site. Um, the last thing they want to do is exercise. Mm-hmm. And I get that. Um, the reality is there's an options and, and the wet mess and the dry mess, whatever it might be, there's some really good food up there as well. So the understanding is that it's their behavior both on and off site, which will then determine the level of health as they progress. Mm-hmm. And how big of an impact would exercise have in that context for someone that's maybe got a lot of pressures going on, not a lot's inside of their control at work and outside of work, and they're having to constantly readjust to their environment. What sort of a, an empowering role does exercise play? Well, it's a very good point because it's sometimes the only thing you can control. So in terms of that internal intrinsic motivation, an exercise program sets the client up to do something that they have full control over to five or 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So they feel in terms of confidence and efficacy that, you know, I'm struggling with this at work. I can't do this. My finances are out the door, but the 10 minutes I go for my stepping or my, my walk around the camp is the 10 minutes that I can de-stress. Mm-hmm. It's the 10 minutes only I know I can control. No one else is telling me what to do. So the empowerment piece is really important because um, in order to feel empowered, in order to do more, you have to trust your body. You have mm-hmm. to trust your mind. And this is why it's important, as we were saying before, people don't, to, don't know where to start because they've got so much other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. This is just something else they have to do. Mm. And I can imagine that's where the real value, or apart from what you do as an exercise physiologist, but the coaching to help people to develop that structure as you mentioned and the schedule and the plan and the steps and getting started and figuring out ways to make it enjoyable and easy to start that's a, a core part of what you do as I understand it yeah and it's it all comes down to the initial assessment it all comes mm-hmm. down to the buy and then adding value a client comes and they've got 13 different reasons why they can't do things mm-hmm. so your responsibility is to understand okay what can you do how do we start what's the baseline how can we measure your success over time? And exercise is success. If you can contribute to five or 10 minutes a day of upper body strength or whatever it might be, for example, is that's something that you can control and we can measure that. And the coaching principle, um, I, why I love the, the coaching is, and this is why I think as a health professional, um, coaching is important to increase your skill set because mm-hmm. you've got a lot of objections. You've got a lot of changes you need to deal with. And as a coach, mm. a lot of people don't know where to start. So you you can't be two steps ahead of the client yeah, because you'll lose them. Have to meet them where is, they are. Exactly. And you've got to walk with them. And walking with the client will give you success. And the reality is in a busy world, um, the client may want a fast fix um, mm. and that may not align with your advice. So it's really important that we align the behavior change and stages of change to the intervention. I'd kind of like to talk for a minute about consequences because people that are listening to this and might be that person in that role and going, oh, yeah, well, preventative and, you know, that there's no urgent trigger for them unless they're, they are in that management stage. So I'm thinking of a way of comparing 
the investment of time and money and energy in a preventative program, if they were to come to you and say, hey, I need help to exercise to maintain and improve my fitness and well-being, as opposed to the management side where something's gone wrong and then they're on a different pathway to try and reclaim their health. What, what's the difference between those two in terms of a, a consequence? Well, it's a very good question. I mean, the, the group here at Alcius, our, our mantra is elevate well-being. So we see both sides. I mean, people sense and, and the team see the, um, the effects of uh, the management team and more importantly, people who are burnt out um, and their health has gone the other way. So I'll talk to you about the prevention side. The challenge and the, and the important thing now is about habit. Mm. Forming a habit creates a reduced consequence. Mm. So the consequence of forming a habit is that the impacts is probably not as severe long-term because you've instilled habit. Now, as a company, the return on the investment is clear about prevention. Mm. However, not always do people see that in terms of monetary value. So mm. it's very difficult to... Um, I mean, we know the stats are, I think it was like for every dollar invested, you know, four to $6 return, but don't, don't quote yeah. me on that. That's um, about right, yeah. Yeah, the reality is that you have to have the right mindset and the right leaders to actually portray that. If they don't, if the leaders don't believe in it and the managers don't really think that it's worth it, you're probably not going to get too far unless there's an incident on site. Mm -hmm. Now, due to the Heart Health Week, there was a number of heart attacks on a number of sites. Mm -hmm. So you could imagine... Um, the amount of phone calls that we were getting. <laughs> <laughs> Help right. now. Right. So yeah. this will lead us into the next bit is mm -hmm. how do you maintain or manage someone if they've had an incident or they've had a diagnosis and the consequence of that? The consequence is faster. Mm -hmm. They will have a health impact faster once they've already been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, their, their impact is faster. And remember, Mel, the quality of life is shorter and the mortality rate is shorter. So if you instill healthy exercise behaviour and lifestyle early, you live longer. So, so, Mel, the biggest risk for premature death is low cardiorespiratory fitness behind smoking. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty clear. Um, add the two together. Um, and, you know, we've got to really look at changing people's um, values mm. and guiding them through perhaps if you do this, this may happen. Yeah. And, and you know, I saw some interesting statistics through Workers' Comp recently where they said that, for example, a mental health claim on average costs $36,500 and yep. 22 weeks off work. And I'm comparing that's that's just a general thing. It could be much longer and there could oh. be more cost. And I'm just comparing that with... What happens if you were to proactively start an exercise program and work with someone to develop that habit? I think it would be a lower cost. And maybe you could answer that. But I think also the, the other side of that is that you're not losing someone for 22 weeks from work. Of course. Yeah. And there's a, yeah, and there's a number of fact. I mean, it's actually long, a bit longer than that. Okay. Um, a primary psychological claim can be a lot longer than 22 weeks. Um, the impact of whether the psychological claim is as a result of work or, um, you know, other factors. I mean, that's probably another question, but yeah. the understanding is that in order to support our employees through wellness and through obviously support, you've got to have proactive and preventative health and safety. Mm. Mental health is a health and safety aspect. Yeah. Um, and you have to understand that how do you reach an audience or a target market that particularly in mining may not necessarily put this at the forefront of their mind. So 
the whole point of the programming and essentially the mental health aspect is you have to have touch points along the way to improve the well-being of your staff. But how do you know the well-being if you don't assess it? Yeah, that's a right? really good point. So how do you know? Someone could just turn up, you might hire a, a midline manager. You know, he's 42, he looks pretty fit, he's all right. You might not do it. You might do a medical, um, you know, but then he's working 12, 13, 14 hours a day. He's doing an eight and six, you know, in three months, you see him, he's put on more weight. You know, his mm. kids aren't sleeping. Three months later, he's starting to, to snowball in his appearance. Um, there's a number of things that go into this. And all of a sudden, 12 months down the track, and he's unfortunately had high cholesterol and had a heart attack. Mm. And then unfortunately, the employer, well, he might have been at work on that day. So there's a number of things we need to look at is how do we look after our staff, mm. but how do we instill them the values to actually do their own um, you know, yeah. own work and how do we give them the success and the coaching and the tools because a healthy workforce is more productive. And as we know, financially um, and for a return, they have less sick days and they perform better. It sounds like what you're doing is a critical piece of that puzzle and a, and a really important part of filling that gap. Yeah, well, the team of the RTS, we've actually designed a number of programs to do a combination of um, EAP or psychology, so employee mm. assistance, and then as a part of that, we're offering our clients the exercise coaching sessions. So we're right. giving them a package that yeah. is not just behind the chair talking, or it's not just in front of the uh, TV doing an exercise program. So we've noticed and we've understood that there's a lot of value in the two programs, mm. uh, the combination approach, mm. but it comes down to the education and the coaching aspect. We don't just give people an exercise program and say, there you go, mate, you know, do 20 of those and she'll be right. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, and from a coaching point of view and exercise physiology point of view, you have to get that piece right. It's really yeah. important that people understand what the value is. Thanks so much, Zach. That's, that's a really great overview of what you do and, and some ways that we can start to solve some of these big and complex problems out there. Thanks, Mo. I think we have to start small. You know, if you're going to ask me, um, you know, how I would approach this with employers, massive clients, you know, oil and gas or, you know, um, Betty Jones down the road, you got to start small. You have to understand that, that by providing simple, small goals that are based on the client's needs and passions and wants, we'll get them first. Second to that, what's the consequence of not doing what you're required to do? What's the alternative? Third, based on how they present and what they have, how do you design a rehabilitation or exercise or movement program that's holistic based on where they're at. Mm. Um, and we do a lot of work in this space in terms of pacing and, and fatigue management and sleep hygiene uh, and cortisol management, because we understand that not everyone can do most things. Yeah. So we're big on coaching people where they're at and giving them small bits of information as they progress over time. And that's a, that's sustainable lifestyle change. Unfortunately, it does take time, mm. but it's about understanding what the client actually values first and what they need from you. And one thing I hear there is that it's really breaking down a barrier, which is trust, because there are employers, and not just in mining, but every sector, there are, are employers that have KPIs and things mm. that they're driving for, and there are employees who are feeling unheard, unvalued, um, unsupported, and there's resistance in the middle there because of the lack of trust. There's, I don't trust that they're going to, they're going to just tell me to do something to tick a box and... Mm -hmm 
is it worth me investing in that? And, and what you're describing is something that really speaks to both sets of those drivers and motivators. Well, essentially, it's a cohesive approach to value-based leadership. And I, I you know, I, I harp on this such a long time. <laughs> if you've ever worked for a terrible leader or a terrible manager, you know, right? Yeah, you understand, yeah. you'll get it, right? Uh, and then when you start to work for, for different companies where managers and leaders get, get, get it, mm. it's about taking your workforce with you to be better and to be more productive in a way that increases their trust over time. The challenge we get is we can just, anyone can do a health and wellness program on site. They can do a blood pressure test. They can do this, like, yay, yeah. right? But the reality is, what are you getting out of it? You can do a 45-minute power presentation, everyone's pumped up, but then what do you get out of it? Mm. Right? How are we facilitating behavior change over time? So my biggest piece of advice is the managers or the health and safety leaders or the midline managers, they have to sit down as a group and consult with the staff or the employees about how they can increase engagement. Mm. And engagement starts with culture, leadership, and incentives and wellness. Yeah. In the next five years, you're probably going to see a lot more of this wellness type offering. Um, and, and you know, in the work that you do, mm. people are crying out for good wellness programs that aren't just tick the box. Yeah, people are, absolutely. you know, they're just thinking, you know, Zach, we can't just, get you to come out and sight and do blood pressure once and do some weight and give them, give my guy a pamphlet. Mm. It's not doing anything. Right? You need buy-in, you need yep. consistency, you need longevity, you need continuity. And you need That's digital, what habits yeah. are made of. Yes, as you know, I mean, and you need digital capability. You need, yeah. you need to meet the client with a digital capability, like an app or, uh, you know, comms or whatever it might be, mm. about continuing to keep the same message. Yeah. You consistency know. in the consistency message. yeah because think about it how long it takes to build a habit second to that if i you know if i was to enroll in a health and well-being program with my employer and they really cared about me and they actually cared that maybe i was pretty stressed you know in week five of my week 10 tenure and i wasn't turning up and i wasn't motivated and maybe they had regular meetings with me we could understand that the employee well-being cycle costs less to keep them healthy you know, is to recruit and then, you know, so the, the, the cost is there, right? You lose a high performer who does a really good job, loves what they do, but they get burnt out. Then the cost to retrain over the next six, 12 months is actually more than it would be to keep them. I think so, it ends up being triple the cost of, of hiring or it's three times the annual hmm. salary or something. They say yep. to lose an employee and have to retrain. And Yeah. And, and what, what if the employee was one of your highest performing employees that everyone liked? Yeah. Think about the look. Think about the, yeah. think, about the, think about the cultural aspect, right? So, the cultural aspect being, why am I willing to go above and beyond for my employer if they're not willing to come to the party with me? And this is why, I guess, what I'm trying to say is, well-being and wellness is a fifty-fifty kind of responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. I think as we progress into the future, companies will have a component of a health and well-being program. Yep. The onus will be, especially on the client or the, the employer, how do they best manage their own health and well-being and mental health? Mm. And this is really important because the construct is if they're not doing the habits that they require every day, exercise, eating well, meditation, sleeping, uh, you know, you measure people by results, not hours, yeah, yeah. right? So we don't live in, you know, the, this is 2022. 
right? People are working from home. People are more productive. It's about measuring results. You know, working 10 hours in the office Monday to Friday in Perth and, and working a 60-hour week when you get paid for 38 doesn't necessarily mean you're good at your job. Mm. And I think it's about instilling messages that, you know, the way of work is actually changing. Yeah, and it's perfect, perfect timing for that. Yes, yeah, especially with COVID and, and things like that. So, I mean, my, my passion is that I think everyone has the right to have access to improve their health. It's just whether that or not they choose to do it. And that's the challenge. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Zach, and having a chat about all things exercise and mental health. I think we covered a lot of ground and I would love for anyone listening to this to be able to get in touch with you. So what would be the best way to do that? Um, you can call me personally on my work mobile or email. I'll, if you want mail, I'll just send you my details. Happy for yep. you to share. And then Great. obviously the link to our website. So on our website, there's a number of articles. Uh, we've got an app called LTS Life, which essentially is a health and wellbeing app. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, it's about, you know, how do people, I'm really passionate about getting people started. I think this is the cohort of people yeah. that really need the most assistance. Mm. Um, it's the hardest yeah. part, right? Getting started. Once you get started, it becomes yep. a lot easier. But that first hurdle is, oh, actually, I won't do that. I'll go and vacuum the spare room. I'll yeah. pull out the leaf blower. Yep. So, um, and, and I agree with that as incidental activity. I think, I think the main thing now is is people getting clear as to how much exercise and how I exercise and its relationship to improving your markers of health. Um, yeah. This is why, I mean, I'll be honest with you, if, uh, I have a client, I remember it like it was yesterday. She came to me and said, Zach, I've been walking one hour every day for three months. I haven't lost weight. Um, I haven't gotten any better. My diabetes is still the same and my blood pressure is still up. Um, walking's not working for me. I don't think exercise is for me. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, so can you tell me now how fast you walk? She said, I walk the same speed every single day. I said, okay, and what's that? You know, and I said, can you sing? She said, yeah, I can sing. It's pretty easy. I said, okay, so do you think maybe that by walking the same speed every day, by the seventh day, your body would have got used to that? She's like, I don't know what you mean. Mm -hmm. So I said, the way the heart and the brain and the body work is they work by load and response. If you do the same thing every day, the body gets used to it. Mm -hmm. I said to her, your benefit of walking after week one probably didn't change. Mm -hmm. Oh, I get it. So, so this is the education piece, right? Yeah, it's yeah. about people know they should exercise and walk and they do all these things and then they get disheartened because all of a sudden they've done the same thing for 12 months and they're no better. And they haven't challenged their body in the right way according to their stage, stage of life yep. and stage of yep. health. Yeah, yep, exactly. And whether their condition uh, or mental health or, or, or illness or injury uh, you know, allow for it. So this is why seeing a health professional exercise physiologist is really important initially because they will prescribe based on your presentation mm. and it's the coaching piece which keeps you accountable to that and program. the implementation of those things. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks so much. <laughs> Great to chat, Zach, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thanks. Thank you.